So you might be wondering where Pastor Michael is. He's not here. <laughs> he, um, in the middle of Alex's birthday uh, dinner yesterday, he went, I don't feel so right. And then by the end of the day, uh, it, he took some NyQuil and went to bed. We'll just leave it at that. So he's in bed right now doing the wise thing of resting. Everyone say wise. And since the flu had just made its round through our house, we thought it wise he didn't come give it to you all. <laughs> Are you thankful he stayed home today? So, <laughs> no, we, we miss you, Pastor Michael. I'm sure he's watching online. He, it's eating him up not to be able to be here, but he's getting some well-needed rest. And so I, at 5 o'clock this morning, found out that I was going to be sharing with you this morning. But lucky for me, no. <laughs> Uh, remember when I ministered in, in February and I said I had two messages for today? Isn't that cool how God knows the future and prepares ahead of time? So about 5 o'clock this morning when he said, I, I'm not doing it. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not pushing it. I said, you know what? I got something. So I took the bones of it and, and went to God and said, what do you have for today? And here we are. We're going to talk about don't let anything talk you into quitting. So I want to start with a personal testimony, and it's a fresh one. It's like hot off the press. Don't you love that kind? I'm not talking about something God did 25 years ago. I'm talking about God's, something God did yesterday. Everyone say yesterday. Okay, so uh, everyone knows that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and what that means is when we testify about what he has done, it reveals what he wants to do and is going to do in the future. So I'm sharing my testimony to stir your faith for what he wants to do for you in the future. And how many of you know that 10 minutes from now is the future? So in a half hour or 45 minutes when we lay hands on you, it's the future. ha <laughs> ha. And he wants to do this for you today. Okay, so my testimony is this, and I wrote it down because I didn't want to miss anything. Because, you know, I usually like to be meditating on my messages for, you know, a week or two (laughs) before I share them. So here we go. Who knows what's going to come out of my mouth today? Jesus, help it. Amen. So in October, I was browsing through Facebook. Anybody ever? Mm Mm-hmm. Wasting time, it's a time waster, but I was wasting time browsing through Facebook, and I happened across a video of Lisa Turkhurst. Now, she's a Christian author, she ministers mainly to women, and uh, she's, I am a part of her writing um, class, and I lead a small group for them to help other writers learn how to write better. We all learn together, and uh, it's called Compel. But she had a video on there about how she had taken some time to rest, pulled back from ministry to take care of some physical things, and just go to the doctor. She hadn't had a checkup in five or six years, and so lo and behold, she goes to the doctor, and they find, on, just on her routine mammogram, uh, a lump. And so they go ahead and test it and do all those things, and here it was cancer, and she had to go have a mastectomy, and she was sharing all of these things on this video and asking for prayer. So then I started thinking... How long has it been since I've even checked my own self, ladies? I know. Every month, right? Or every four or five years, depending on who you are. So um, I did a quick self-examination, and lo and behold, there was a lump. So I did the smart thing. Everyone say smart. Smart. I did the smart thing, and I made an appointment with my gynecologist, and I went in, and she confirmed, yes, you have a lump. So, of course, the, the mind starts racing. And I said, okay. And she said, well, it's not hard, which is a good thing. It's not prickly. It's soft. It's smooth. It's malleable. It moves. It was very, very painful. And she said, all of these things are good, good things. I'm not super concerned about it. But here's a script to follow up with the mammogram. So uh, follow up is a good thing. And if you don't believe me, talk to Ann Baycorn. She's not here today. She followed up with her doctor and found out she had lung cancer. So follow-up's a good thing. Everyone say a good thing. thing. And it's the smart thing. Everyone say the smart thing. thing. 
Okay, so with our way our insurance is and or I guess coverage, we're self-pay. Cash pay. Everyone say cash pay. So you can get free mammograms, right? But you cannot get free diagnostic mammograms with the radiologist on hand and a potential ultrasound needed. So those run in the thousands of dollars and they wanted it up front. So I immediately went to prayer. You would think I would have gone to prayer for healing, but I did not. I immediately went to prayer for provision because I wanted to do the smart thing. Everyone say the smart thing. So I immediately go to prayer for provision because my God has never failed me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed bacon for bread. And in prayer, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, wait, don't have the test. So I said, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, because all those thoughts come to your mind that if you don't have the test, and what if it's this, and what if it's that, and what if it's this? So I went back into prayer, praying for provision, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit say, wait. Okay, I'm going to put a disclaimer in here, and I'm going to read it. The disclaimer is this. Don't do this at home. (laughs) Don't do what I do, okay? I'm not telling you, go out and throw your medicine away. I'm not telling you not to go to the doctor. We believe in doctors. We go to the doctors often. Anytime there's a hesitation, we go to the In fact, I'm taking my son tomorrow for an MRI. He's had pain in his calf for a uh, little over a month now, and there's some kind of growth underneath his muscle. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to do the smart thing. We're going to go in and have it checked out. However, I also know the voice of God. And I know there's a place in the Bible about a king who, uh, who went to have surgery and he died or something on the surgery table. I'm trying to remember it now because God said, you didn't trust me. You didn't seek me first. So we always want to seek the Lord. So I know the voice of God. And even though my mind was fighting me to do the smart thing, my heart was saying, do the God thing. So what I did was I wrote the phone number of the mammogram place on my refrigerator. Because if he changed his directive at any moment, I was calling that number. I wanted the test. Are you with me? So I told a few of my very close friends who I know are prayer warriors what I was dealing with. And of course, my husband, we didn't even tell our kids what I was dealing with, but I, I went into prayer and I got into the word. I'm listening to podcasts, doing all of these things. And, and then the Lord started putting stuff on my heart to do. He really uh, nudged me to take communion every morning. So I'd get up before everybody else in the morning with my elements which some days were a goldfish and a little cup of water because that's what I had on hand. Because it's not the elements that matter. It's the one who makes the elements important that matter, you know? So I, I got up and I read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 24, and I, I soaked in Isaiah 53 in the amplified version that talk about what happened on the cross, what belonged to me, that what happened when it was God's good pleasure to crush Jesus, so that the curse could be crushed in our lives. And I soaked in that, and he was revealing it to me, and I was growing in that the whole while, looking at the number on my refrigerator going, can I call today, Lord? (laughs) Is today a good day to get the test? I'm built up now. Now I'm sure I'm going to go in there, and they're going to just confirm that there's nothing there. However, it was growing, like it was getting bigger. I was swollen. I was, it was super painful. And every day I got up in expectation that when I felt that lump, it would be gone. And every day it seemed like it was bigger and more painful. And I fought the thoughts. What about Rudy Vertashnik, who was a minister, who didn't go follow through on the test and died of colon cancer? What about him? What about Lisa Turkhurst, who hadn't followed through, would have died with cancer? What about Michael, my own husband, yes. two years ago, that if he hadn't gone to the ER and had all the tests done and gone to the hospital, he would have died of a blood clot? What about that? I'm calling. No, wait, I've got this. 
So then in March, he started leading me a different way. I wasn't taking communion first thing anymore. He led me to dance in my kitchen. We've had this conversation. If you've been here, we've had this conversation. And every day I would dance. I'd say, I'd get up and I'd stand at my sink with my family asleep in bed going, I want the first actions of my body to reflect faith, to reflect rejoicing in the fact that the word is true, whether I've seen it or not, whether I feel it or not, the first actions of my body to be praised, the first words of my mouth to be praised, and thanksgiving, the first thoughts in my mind to be focused on the promise because your word is true. And there's me in my kitchen rejoicing, holding myself because it was so painful. Just rejoicing. God is good. And then I woke up yesterday expecting the lump to be gone. And I felt it, and it was completely gone. shrink away to nothing. It completely disappeared. I woke up for the first time with no pain in six months. If you can imagine the dance party in my kitchen, can I tell you it didn't look any different than the dance party the day before? Except for it turned from, I thank you for what you're going to do, to I thank you to what you have done. Because faith has been made sight. God is good. Oh, let me tell you, God is so good. Ha ha. He's so good. All glory to God. And I want to qualify this. We don't earn our healing. We don't earn the promises of God. What I was doing was not earning something from the Father. The promises have been paid for. The cross crushed the curse and made us partakers of the promise. However, we have to participate with the promise to see it in our lives, right? And I want to take you to Jericho because the directive came. I've given you the promised land. In fact, he said it past tense. I have given you this land. Now go in and take it. And this is how you defeat this Giant. This is how you defeat this wall. This is how you defeat this city. March around the wall once every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around it seven times. And blow the trumpets and shout. And the walls will fall down. So I'm going to ask you what would have happened if they didn't do it. If they didn't participate with the promise. If they didn't participate with the directive from God and do the marching and do the trumpeting and do the shouting. Would the walls have fallen? No. Did they earn that from God? No. No. They participated with the problem. Why? Because it's faith that brings the power of God and the answer of God from heaven to earth. And it's our participation with the directives of God that ignite that power, that reveal the faith that's on the inside of us. So can anyone guess what we're going to talk about today? Ha ha, good job. You get the prize. We're going to talk about faith today. We don't earn the promises of God but we can surrender them. He's already given to them, to us. They're ours to own. We own them. But there's thing of, this thing of getting from faith to sight. Because has, has anyone ever prayed and not had it answered immediately? Raise your hands. Or the next day. Or the day after that. Some of us can have real strong faith for 30 seconds. <laughs> We might even have real strong faith for three hours. We are strong in faith at church. And then we go home with ourselves. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What happens when we go home with ourselves? (laughs) We're going to talk about a faith that perseveres. Um, The definition of insanity... The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. 
So can we agree that the army of Israel marching around Jericho would have looked like it fit the bill for insanity? I think the definition of insanity can also be used from the definition of faith. Because we tell ourselves all the time, I spoke to that mountain yesterday and it doesn't look any different. I'm crazy. Why should I speak to it today? That looks crazy. Naaman dipped in the river Jordan seven times and was healed. What if after the third time he would have said, gosh, I keep doing the same thing and nothing's happening and stopped what would have happened? Mm -mm. Faith is long obedience in the same direction. And there's some things that'll play tug of war with our faith to get us to surrender. John 10.10 says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that word kill does not mean murder. It means surrender. So what the enemy does in our lives is he brings in thoughts and he, he lines up situations and, and he does everything he can to get us to surrender what God has already given us. He has no power over us that we don't yield to him. Are you there? He has no power over us that we don't surrender to him. So what he does is he brings some enemies of our faith, and we're going to look at them today, to try to get us to let go of the tug-of-war rope. Have you ever seen a tug-of-war? Where they're tugging and they're pulling, it's going back and forth, and the one team just lets go? The enemy has no power over us unless we let... He cannot pull us across. He does not have the power to pull us across to his side if we let go. Why? Because God's holding on to our rope. We just have to know it. He has no power over us that we don't surrender to him if, he, if we won't let go. And when I was going through this and the thoughts were coming to my mind, I remember getting up one morning and going, devil, you are going to have to pry my faith from my cold, dead hands because I am not giving up until I see God move. And I was holding like this. I'm like, you're going to have to pry it from my cold, dead hands because I'm not Letting go of what God promised me. Too many of us are just like, it didn't change today? Oh, well. (laughs) And God's like, hold on to the rope. So we're going to talk about faith that perseveres. So let's open up to Luke 18, 1 through 8. And I'm just going to say now, we might go over time. I'm not going to look at the clock one more time today. If you need to go at 1230, we bless you. You go keep your appointments and do what you need to do. But we're going to stay here as long as it takes for God to do what he wants to do today. Are we okay? Okay, I just wanted to release you early if you need to go before we get there. Luke 18, 1 through 8. It says, also Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, lose heart, and give up. That's the amplified version. Jesus told them a parable. Now, a lot of the times that Jesus spoke in parables, the disciples had no idea what he was talking about, right? He would just speak this beautiful parable, and they would get alone, and the disciples would go, now, Jesus, what in the world did you just say? Could you say it in plain English, please? Right? And can I just encourage you, ask questions, Read through the Gospels and note this. Most of the deep instructions that Jesus gave them came after they asked a question about something they didn't understand. He loves it when we're hungry and we ask questions about his word. Anyway, but he wanted them to know from the beginning what this parable was about because it was so important that they get it. 
So instead of cloaking it in, in some story and them having to come back and ask later, it's like, we're not messing with that. I'm telling you from the beginning, what I'm about to share with you is because I know there will come faith trials and there will come things in your life that are going to be enemies to your faith. And you need to know that when you pray, you can stand and not turn coward and faint and give up and quit. I want you to know it from the beginning. That's the purpose of this parable because I want you to learn how to stand in faith. Are you, are you there? Yes. So he said, there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. I'm going to read that verse in the Amplified Bible because it just makes me laugh. He said, the judge said, yet because this widow continues to bother me, I will defend and protect and avenge her, lest she give me intolerable annoyance and wear me out by her continual coming, or at the last she come and rail on me, or assault me, or strangle me. (laughs) The woman knew what she wanted, and she was saying, I am not going to stop coming. You're going to have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands before I stop coming to you. She knew what she wanted. She knew it was right. She knew it was justice. And she knew that he could change the situation. And so she kept coming and coming and coming every day. She continually came. Are you getting the picture of a persevering woman who knew what she wanted and was not letting go? Lest she rail on me, assault me, or strangle me. (laughs) He was afraid for his life. This woman made him afraid for his life. He's like, she might hurt me. I need to do something for this woman. Verse 6, then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge said says. Stop right there. God is not comparing God to the unjust judge. He wanted us to learn a lesson from what the judge said. Are you there? God's not just up in heaven just ignoring us, waiting for us to come strangle him before he'll release a promise in our life. Right? Okay. We're going to listen to what the unjust judge said. He said, because she was persistent in coming and didn't let go of her faith that I would change it. I'm going to change it. All right. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No, I tell you. He will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? This persistent, I'm not letting it go. Your word says it, and I'm coming every day until I see that faith turn to sight. Persistent, will he find this kind of faith on the earth. I'm going to say he's going to find it here. Amen. He's going to find it in Warren, Ohio. Oh. I'm so excited. God is good. Will he find this kind of faith on the earth? So we're going to talk today about faith. It's just simply believing what God said is true. And holding on to it when everything you see looks opposite. Right? Faith is simple. It means I believe every word that you spoke is true. And I believe you no matter what else I see. Can anybody think of anything you're facing that looks opposite to what the word of God says? 
We need to spend more time focusing on the cross than the curse. More time focusing on the promise than the problem. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But um, just some little thoughts on faith, because how many of you ever thought, I don't have enough faith? Go ahead and raise your hand. Make us all feel better about ourselves. I don't have enough faith. Like even the scripture verse that Pastor Allen read, oh, you have little faith. But there's faith. The only time Jesus ever qualified an amount of faith that he told us we should have, it was mustard seed. Do you know how small a mustard seed is? If I had time to stop at the store and get a mustard seed on the way in, I would have. It's tiny. It's minuscule. Like I probably couldn't even see it without my reading glasses on because my eyes aren't 20 anymore, although I want my 20-year-old eyes back, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It's minuscule. Jesus never said you have to have a lot of faith to accomplish anything. You need this huge, massive amount of faith to receive promises from God. He said if you have the faith as big as a mustard seed, you're good to go. And here's the other good news, is that he's given you the faith. The Bible says he's given us the measure of faith. We all have it. Say, I have enough faith. Do you believe it? Yes. Believing it's the important thing. And I said this for service, and I really like it. John G. Lake um, used to look in the mirror every day and point at himself and say, the power of God lives in that man. Every day, the power of God lives in that man. And he believed it. You know how I know? He could hold bubonic plague germs in his hand, and they died on contact. He believed it. So that's your homework. You look in the mirror every day this week and say, you have enough faith to move mountains. You have enough faith to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. You have enough faith in your possession right now to receive every promise that God has promised you. You have it. Let's just take a minute and say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So that's not an obstacle anymore. He never said you had to have a lot of faith. He did qualify what kind of faith. And we're going to look at that in a little bit in Mark eleven twenty two. We need to have the faith like God. He did ask the disciples one time, where did you put your faith? <laughs> in Luke, you can write this down and read it later. Luke eight twenty two through 25, it's when they got in the boat you know, to go over to the other side. And then the storm kind of came up in the middle of the trip. The Bible says Jesus was asleep on his pillow. I love that it threw that detail in there. God was not willy-nilly with what he put in the word. Every word he put in there, he meant to put in there on purpose. So to just picture Jesus asleep on his pillow, like when I take a, when I just fall asleep on the couch, it's not intentional. There's, I don't have any covers or any pillows. Jesus intentionally went down into the boat, laid down on his pillow, and went to sleep. And I'm pretty sure he knew what was coming. But in the middle of his nap, a storm came up, and the disciples were scared. They were afraid for their lives, weren't they? In fact, they woke him up and said, Don't you care that we're going to perish? Don't you care that we're going to die, Jesus? Now, if this was my daughter saying it, I'd be like, hmm, drama, drama. <laughs> my daughter can tend to the dramatic about everything. In fact, when she was little, all of them actually, but her in particular, we'd always have to calm her down by saying it's not a crisis. It's fixable. It's not a crisis. I'd make her repeat it back, and she had a lip. She'd go, it's not a crisis. Crying, it's not a crisis. But if seasoned fishermen and grown men thought there was something to be afraid of, I'm sure that physically in the natural, there was cause for concern of death. If seasoned fishermen thought this storm could kill us, the storm probably really could have killed them. Fear is an immediate response to facing death, right? And you can't help the feelings of fear that rise up in you, can you? 
I like to scare my children. I just do. There's just something wicked in me that likes to scare my kids. I hide around the corner if I hear them coming, and I go, ah, <laughs> gotcha. As often as possible. It's just fun to me. <laughs> I just enjoy it. But when you get scared like that, it's an automatic response. I think it's called the autonomic system, nervous system in your body. You can't help it. The heart just starts beating and you start breathing faster. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But what you do once you feel the fear is totally up to you. Once you do, once you feel fear is totally up to you. You can yield to it or you can take authority over it. You can walk above it. And so maybe a better response for the disciples would have been, gather around guys, this looks bad. It looks like we could die here. However, the, you know, the man that raises the dead, he's kind of downstairs. The guy that did all those miracles so far that we've seen, he made water turn into wine. He's raised the dead and healed the sick and opened blind eyes and deaf ears. He's downstairs. What if we go wake him up and see what miracle he's going to do next? But is that what they did? No. And it, it, it drew a response from Jesus of, where did you put your faith? You've been with me all this time. Come on. Where's your faith? So we have it. Everyone say, I have faith. I have faith. But what I do with it, do with it is up to me. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at at some of these things. He never said we don't have enough faith. He just said, what are you doing with your faith? Hebrews six eleven through 12, this is the verses where it says, through faith and patience. Everyone say patience. patience. You possess the promise. Through faith and patience, you possess the promise. Through faith and patience. you possess the promise. You don't really need patience unless you're waiting for something. <laughs> I don't need patience on vacation. I want it to slow down. (laughs) I need patience while I'm waiting for it to get here. (laughs) Because I'm like, hurry up, vacation. Through faith and patience, we possess the promise. And if you read on in that section of scripture, it gives you the example of Abraham. And how he waited 25 years from the time God first spoke the promise to the time he walked in the promise. It was 25 years. Don't get discouraged about 25 years. It's not a formula. It's an example of persistent faith. Doesn't have to take 25 years. Oh, it took 25 years for Abraham. I guess I could just mark it down. No. It's an example of persistent faith. And that's what we're going to look at today. Not necessarily what it takes to have persistent faith, but we're going to look at some of the enemies of persistent faith so that when they come at us, we can recognize them as enemies and come against them instead of surrender to them. If you don't recognize somebody as an enemy, you're not going to be on your guard against it, right? Right. Are you with me? I've watched enough cop shows to hear them say they must have knew their attacker because there's no defensive wounds. I might have the enemy's DNA under my fingernails because I will defend (laughs) my pain. He comes at it and I'm like, get out. He comes back and I'm like, get out. But sometimes the enemy's like that lady. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's trying to wear you down. But it's our job not to get worn down. So we're going to look at some of the enemies of faith. And the first one we're going to look at, and we're separating them for, for instruction's sake, but they all go together. And one can cause the other. But the first one we're going to look at is time. Time is an enemy of faith. And I just want to encourage you (laughs) that trusting God means trusting his timing. Even when you don't understand his timing, even when it's not the timing that you want, trusting God means trusting his timing. 
Yeah, not a lot of amens on that one. <laughs> That's not the one we're wanting to shout on. But um, back to Hebrews 6.12, I'm just going to refer back to it. Through faith and patience, we possess the promise. And we said we don't need patience unless we're waiting. But sometimes waiting can be painful. Can I get a witness? Yes. Waiting can be painful. When Alex was getting ready to run cross-country season, when school started last year, I always ask him, what can I pray for you? Can I pray for you this season? So I said, what can I pray for you? He goes, pray that my pain tolerance would increase. Like, you're going to have to explain that to me because I'm not a runner. In fact, if you ever see me running, you should run too. Because <laughs> it means something's chasing me. <laughs> There's a bear or something chasing me down. I walk, but I don't run. Uh, but he said, you know, Mom, by the end of the race, everything hurts. Your lungs hurt, your legs, the lactic acid is building up, and your legs hurt, and your arms hurt, and you're just, just so focused on winning that race that you're, everything hurts by the time you cross that finish line. And honestly, a couple times he's crossed it, giving everything that he had, he felt he's fallen across the finish line. Because everything just hurts. And it's the, it's the runners who push through the pain that generally win. And so he said, Mom, I want you to, to pray that my pain tolerance would increase. And a couple years ago, they had a Navy SEAL and some, Marine, or, and some Marines at the high school giving a lecture, trying to recruit people. But they gave a lecture to all the, the kids. And he said, honestly... When your body tells you, I'm done, I have nothing left to give, it has 60% more left to give. Your body holds in reserve 60% store of your energy and strength because it's going to be in survival mode. If it thinks you're going to run out, it's going to cut you off and say you're done. But honestly, if you can push past that mental break, you still have 60% more energy left in the tank to go farther and faster. Let that sink in for just a minute. Sometimes it's up here. And the longer you go in the weights, the more squirrely it gets up here. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about God. He lives in eternity. So past, present, future is all the same to him. In fact, usually when you read him talk about a promise like to Abraham, to the children of Israel, I have given you this land. They hadn't taken it yet. They hadn't gone in yet. They were still in Egypt. But I have, past tense, to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. Past tense, why? Because from God's perspective, it's already a done deal. Are you with me? From our perspective, not so done, right? <laughs> and from, so from our perspective, the thing with time is your mind is telling you if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Anyone ever had that thought? Standing in faith? If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. What's taking so long? I guess there's something wrong with me. I guess there's something wrong with my faith. I guess, I guess, I guess. And the enemy's getting you to let go of the rope. But if, God, if we could just listen to God, who in Ephesians 2, 6 already told us, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. So he's saying, why don't you come up here and sit in your seat and look at it from my perspective for a minute. Because in my perspective, it's already done. Time is just time. Do you trust me? And I'm telling you, our words and actions reveal our trust. We're not earning it, we're displaying. Have you ever prayed for provision in one breath and said, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill in the next? <laughs> Yeah, time is the enemy. Time is the enemy. 
if we can see it the way that God sees it, it's going to strengthen our faith so that we don't turn coward and quit and faint and give up. Are you with me? We're the only ones who can let the enemy of time win. But that's where I was at about Christmas time, going, all right, it's been a couple, it's been about a month and a half, Lord. I guess if it was going to happen, it wouldn't begin bigger. <laughs> it begins smaller. Nope. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I trust God. It's always a matter of bringing the focus back where it needs to be. Are you with me? So we get to choose whether or not we let time be an enemy. Let me tell you, Jericho was not a progressive victory. They didn't circle it day one and like Tetris, God take out the first layer of brick. Right? And then they go around it the next day and bam, the next layer was gone. The wall didn't progressively get shorter to make it easier for them. There was no evidence of change until it completely fell down. Not day one, not day two, not day three, not day four, not day five, not day six, not day seven. That's why he told him, don't open your mouth. Your mouth got you in trouble before. Keep that mouth closed. The only thing you want to come out of your mouth about your problem is the word of God. Are you with me? It wasn't progressive. Even if in their mind they were thinking, nothing's changing. Is this really going to work? I believe God. I believe God. So I'm going to long direction or long obedience in the same direction. I'm going to keep doing what he said to do and he will do the work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Another, another enemy of time or of faith is discouragement. Anyone ever feel discouraged about something you had prayed for? Right? Discouragement is no fun. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred. Who can quote it? Go ahead. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. A literal translation of this says, expectation prolonged and delayed makes the mind, will, and emotions weak. Expectation prolonged and delayed makes the mind, will, and emotions weak. So time is an enemy of faith because it brings with it discouragement. The longer it takes and the more it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like, it's easy to turn coward and let it go and to surrender it. Right? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But here's the deal. You ready? We get to choose where we put our hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick is not a promise. It's a warning. And yet how many people have you heard quote it like a promise? That when they're in the middle of a trial or they're waiting for a word to come to pass for their life and they're down and in the mully grubs, they're like, well, the Bible says it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's not a promise. It's a warning. If your hope is deferred, it's because your hope is in the wrong thing. Our hope is not in the answer. Our hope is not just in faith made sight. Our hope is not in a timing. Our hope is not in, in our expectation of what it's going to look like. Has anyone ever told God how to do it? 
You know, if I were you, God, I would do it this way. I wouldn't have to have the surgery, and you would just blah, 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 blah. And if, if I were you, you know, I like how you did the, the provision for the taxes. Anyone do their taxes? If I can just go fishing tomorrow and get enough money to pay the taxes. Let me tell you how I want you to do it, when I want you to do it, where I want you to do it, and through whom I want you to do it. And when that doesn't happen, ugh, so discouraged, depressed even, hope deferred is not a promise to own. It's a warning. <laughs> if you're discouraged, it's because the hope needs to be moved back to the only one who's able to change the situation. Father, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how long it's taken. I know that your word is true, and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Are you with me? <laughs> The Bible says in Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. It's not I rejoice in the answer. It's not I rejoice when the need is physically met. It's I rejoice at your word. Go to Mark 11. I'm going to start reading in, in verse 20. But I want to I preface a little bit of the story with this. This, Mark 11 is where uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree. So he comes out, and they're walking by this fig tree, and it doesn't have any figs on it. And he goes, no man will ever eat fruit from you again. Cursed the fig tree. And guess what didn't happen immediately? Anything. Nothing to the natural eye. The tree looked exactly the same as before he spoke those words. And then they go in the city, and they do their deal, and they spend the night, and they're coming back out, and wha-bam! No, they came back out, and then they were going back in. Peter's walking by the fig tree, and he says, verse 20, in the morning as they passed by, they saw, everyone say saw, saw. the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. He was excitable. Peter was excitable. And so he cursed it. No physical change. They walk by it. No physical change. They come back by it. And it's cursed and dried up from the root. So this is a little lesson in the difference between God kind of faith and human faith. Because remember, Jesus qualified what kind of faith. In chapter or verse 22, it says, Jesus entered them and said, have faith in God. Or another translation says, have the God kind of faith. So he's giving them an example here because he saw their human faith and thought they'll never be able to survive life without me with that kind of faith. I got to give them a lesson on what faith really looks like to have the same kind of faith that God had. This is what it looks like. I say unto you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe what he says will come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, when you pray, believe that you receive, and then you will have it. So he's given them an example here of the God kind of faith. Jesus wasn't shocked like Peter was, then it dried up. He knew from the minute he spoke the word, it had to obey. And I personally believe that the minute he spoke, death started working in the roots of that tree in a realm that they couldn't see. And then it manifested into the physical realm the next day. And the same thing works in our answer to prayer. Don't you know that the minute you pray, life is released and begins to work on the root of your problem, whether it immediately changes symptoms or not, life is released and your words send it into motion and your words can unset it. You have the power. 
He didn't tell them God would move the mountain. He told them your words will move this mountain. Your faith expressed through your words will move this mountain. Just like mine did. Bringing it all back to the fig tree. It didn't change immediately, but Jesus didn't begin to doubt. He didn't walk by it that night and say, well, I guess it didn't work. God kind of faith believes it before it sees it. Human faith didn't believe it until it saw. Peter didn't get excited when Jesus spoke the word. Peter got excited when he saw it with his eyes. But it's the God kind of faith that gets excited before you see it. It's the God kind of faith that got me up every morning in my kitchen singing a different song of victory. Dancing and rejoicing before God. Why? Because it felt different? No, I had to hold myself because it hurt. But I rejoiced at the word. I rejoiced at the promise because I knew it was just a matter of time before that faith was made sight. That's why the dance party yesterday didn't look much different. I was already rejoicing. Ha ha. Yes. Because I rejoice at his word. Discouragement is an enemy of faith. And we have full control over whether or not, I'm out of shape, over whether or not we, we get discouraged. And the quickest way to uproot discouragement is praise. The quickest way to uproot discouragement is to praise. It's to turn your eyes and your focus on God and the word and let it fly. Try it. Next time you're discouraged, try it. It's like an elevator into joy. It's like an elevator. Instead of taking the stairs up to, to joy and taking the stairs up to the presence of God, it's like some supersonic elevator. Like, oh yeah, my mind was discouraged. The most important conversations you're ever going to have are the ones you have with yourself because your friends aren't always going to be there to encourage you. It's going to be you alone in your kitchen going, why are you so downcast? Oh my soul, put your hope in God. He keeps everything. Every promise forever. Not one word of his can fail. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. No matter what you see, he heals every sickness and every disease. He's faithful. He's faithful. The quickest way to uproot discouragement is to praise. Our praise is a demonstration of what he has done, what he said he would do, and what we believe he will do. And it's an expression of faith. And that's what God works on. He needs our faith. I prayed for a woman one time for something that was beyond my faith. I thought. It was a big thing. And so I prayed for her at the altar. And she walked away. And I took it home. And I was helping Jesus. Let me tell you, I was helping him. <laughs> oh, God, I'm not. Oh, anyone ever done the nervous praying? This was not faith-filled prayer. This was nervous prayer. Oh, God, you have to do something. Oh, my goodness, that's so big. I kept saying that. That's so big. Only you can do it. That's so big. And I'm nervous praying for three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. (laughs) Leave the gun, take the cannoli. So um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, finally on Wednesday, it's like he tapped me on my shoulder and said, I don't need your help, but I could really use your faith. How about you believe, really believe that I am big enough to have, and you know what? He had already taken care of it because she went back to the doctor the next day and got a good report. I was like, it would have helped if you called the office on Monday and let us know. You'd have saved me two days of helping Jesus. Get it done. He doesn't need our help, but he surely needs our faith. And the final, the final one I want to talk about, we're almost done. Hang with me. 
shift around in your seat if you're uncomfortable. Whatever, whatever that looks like is doubt. And doubt thrives in ignorance. And so the cure for doubt is to bury yourself in the word. Because what you feed will thrive and what you starve will die. So we want to starve our doubts and feed our faith. That's where he asked me way in the beginning of standing for this healing, are you going to even look at the cross? Because I was meditating more on the curse. I was web, don't ever go on WebMD. Man, they'll have you dying for a hangnail. Gosh. Our, our flesh automatically goes to the negative. I don't know why, but the flesh automatically gravitates. And it's a struggle to, your mind is a muscle that needs worked. So in the beginning, it was a struggle to keep it fixed on the word. Because the fear would be rising up and then the doubts would come and I should really call the doctor and I should really have that test. God, did you really say? I want to just talk about real quick, write it down, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. We're not going to read it for time's sake. But this is where the serpent came to Eve in the garden. And he said, has God really said that if you eat this fruit, you'll die? Do you hear the doubt he's trying to instill in her? Has God really said? And she goes, oh, yes, he said. He said, if I eat it or touch it, I will die. So she added to the word. Don't do that. It's not in the scripture, but I personally think that when she touched it and didn't die, it emboldened her to eat. Right? Right? Okay, just take that home and, and think on that for a while. Has God said? Oh, yeah. Yeah, God said. But will he really do it? That was his next question. Will you really die? You're not going to die. God knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him. Three lies. Three doubts. Has God said? Will God do And are you really who God said you are? Eve could have never been more like God. In Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it says that he made them in his image and his. So she bought into the lie that she wasn't like God. Got her to doubt who she was. If you don't know your identity, you're never going to fulfill your destiny. That's where the enemy came and tempted Jesus. And if the enemy tempts Jesus to doubt, knowing that he was going to lose that battle, you have to know that he's going to come at you. That's why we need to recognize when he's coming at us so we can come against it. If we don't recognize it as the enemy because it sounds an awful lot like us in our heads, if we don't recognize doubt as the enemy, we'll release the rope. Right? Jesus was baptized and God said, this is my son whom I well pleased. And he immediately was taken into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, came to tempt his identity. Why? Because if we don't know who we are, we'll never do what God's called us to do. If we don't know what's ours, if we don't know that we have the authority to cast out evil spirits and to lay hands on the sick and to watch them recover, we're never going to walk in it. And if Jesus had doubted he was the son of God, he would have never gone to the cross. The enemy's going to come and try and get you to doubt what God said. Will he do it? And are you really? That's where Eve should have taken her doubts and questions to God. What she should have said to the serpent to buy herself some time was, hey, listen, God's getting ready to come down and walk with us in the cool of the day. So I'm just going to ask him again. God, did you really say we can't eat that fruit or touch it? Did you, are you really going to, are we really going to die? Because what this serpent over here said is making me wonder. And before I do anything stupid, like eat that fruit, I think I just want to ask you, did you really say it? 
And are you really going to do it? And that's why when doubts come to our mind, did he really mean physical healing? No, he meant spiritual healing. Our spirits don't need healed. Our spirits are immediately changed from death to life. He meant physical healing. He meant healing for our bodies. Are you with me? Will God really do it? That's where you bury yourself in the word that says he fulfills every promise forever. He's faithful who promised. He spoke it. He'll perform it. Not one word of his can fail. Right? Are you with me? And there's something that'll bring doubt quicker than anything, and it's a previous faith failure. Anybody? Because <laughs> if you pray for someone and this one doesn't get healed, and you come to pray for the next one, you're going to go, oh, wait a minute. Hesitate. Doubt. If you pray for yourself and you don't receive your healing, then the next time you go to pray, you're going to go, maybe not. We've all had faith failures. Me too. But our faith is not grounded in experience. Our faith is grounded in the word of God. Do I understand why I didn't get what I asked for here? No. But does that mean that I'm going to come over here and just give up? No. Because the word didn't change. And in between, I can go, Father, I don't understand why. But I still believe your word. And I'm not letting it go. And the devil's going to have to pry it from my cold, dead hands to get me to doubt. Because he's faithful who promised. I'm living, breathing proof. He's a faithful God and he's faithful who promised. And he makes known to us the enemies of faith in the word so we can recognize them when they come and stand against them. He is a faithful God. The enemy never comes and gets you to try or tries to get you to doubt what happened last time. We know what happened last time. I know he healed my daughter of seizures. And I know he healed my husband of a blood clot and a tear in his mesenteric artery. And I know he healed my foot. And I know he healed this. And I know he healed that. But every single time he comes and says, but this time. And tries to get doubt in there. He never ever tries to get us to question what has already happened. He just tries to get us to question the future, which is why we need to go back to seeing it from God's perspective because past, present, and future are all the same to him and it's already done. It's already done. That's good news. Give God a shout. Hallelujah. It's already done. So we're, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. I know we didn't take offering or do announcements today. Go online, read the announcements. The ushers will stand at the doors when you leave. If you want to give your offering today, drop it in the bucket. <laughs> but the Spirit of God is about to move in power. Why? Because faith has been stirred today. And I know there are people in here who faith has been stirred in your heart, and you're like, I am ready to pray. And then there's some of you who are saying, oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to believe. Now help what still doesn't believe in me. And guess what? He's going to do that today too. He's going to move in your bodies and in your life today. So if you don't need prayer, you're free to go. We just ask you to, to fellowship in the hall so that the people that are receiving have an atmosphere with which to receive. And I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Dan and Marilyn, Pastor Allen, Mike and Mary, if, you'll, do you, if you have time to pray. And then if you guys, Frank and Angie, don't have to sneak off, I'd love you to come and pray for people too. But um, we're going to pray for you. And the power of God is going to be released in bodies. The power of God is going to be released in lives. And this just doesn't count for bodies. If you're discouraged because you're standing for family members who have yet to come to the Lord.
come. We'll help you. We'll encourage your faith. God wants to strengthen your faith today. Why? So that you don't let it go because he knows it's already yours. And if you will just hold on, you're going to see the answer in this realm. Amen. Can we have some kind of praise music? God's going to do it music, something. I don't need music to dance. I dance in my kitchen every morning with no music, and I just rejoice. (laughs) So if that's you and you need prayer, come down. Because God's going to meet you today. Yes. That baby girl needs to be down here. You know, a few weeks ago, I saw in my spirit three people in particular, and I don't see, uh, Angelina is the only one I see in here today, but God's going to break miracles wide open in this place because we believe that he's going to. You wanna, I'm going to have Frank and Angie pray for her. She's the one that has the seizures. She's the one that I saw in her complete right mind totally healed. Amen. Can you mute my mic, somebody? I don't know if I can turn it off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.